My grandma has always said, it's wonderful that you have so many friends, and I agree with her. During the pandemic, I realized how much I miss seeing the people who make my life so bright and interesting, and I wanted to find a way to introduce all of these stars to the world. And so I created this podcast. You, dear listener, will get a chance to be introduced to those who make my world hum with possibility. We will talk about serious things, silly things, sad things, glorious things, and things that make us feel alive. So settle in. It's just you and me. Hello, everyone. We are back. Wow. This is going to be a conversation for the ages. I have not seen this. Well, that's a lie. I have seen this human being via Zoom within the past year. But besides that, I think it's been a very long time. So Joel, wow, welcome. Hello there, old friend. <laughs> it is so good to see you and to hear you laugh and to hear your voice and to deeply feel the irreverence and snark and love that comes from you every time you speak. Oh, well, let's talk about who you are and how do we know each other? And you can do those in any order that you'd like. Yeah. Okay. So my name is Joel Searby, and I'm a recovering political consultant. <laughs> I uh, will get to that in a few minutes, mm -hmm. uh, why I'm no longer a political consultant. And yep. my wife and I own a vintage uh, market, which is a place that sells cool old stuff, mm -hmm. Newberry, Florida. Mm hmm after and we'll uh, put a link to it we'll put a link to it in the show notes too cool yeah. yeah um so after 15 years in politics i now own retail store and run a flea market and do some other crazy things along with that uh yeah. living in florida uh -huh. and yeah so i'll just stop there because you'll get to know me i guess in our conversation but how do we know each other mm -hmm. actually something happened to me today that was like the perfect set up for this conversation about how you and I met. Okay. And, and it kind of, um, it describes the kind of person I am a little bit and, and probably the kind of person you are a little bit. Okay. So I was telling, I, so one of the things I'm doing right now, in addition to running a retail vintage store and selling yeah. cool things and yeah. it was like a super artsy, creative, community-minded kind of a thing, yeah. I am also coaching two basketball teams. Oh, you are? Yeah, so I'm coaching my oh. son's rec team and I'm coaching the middle school basketball team. Oh my God. And after our game today, our middle school game, which we won big, yes. Congratulations, uh, wow. I was driving two of the boys home because they didn't have rides and yeah. one was a white boy, one was a black kid. Uh -huh. And I was telling them the story of how I played in college and I played in Elmhurst College. Yeah. When I met. Yes. And I was telling the story about how my best friend on the basketball team was this guy named Steve who lived and was born and raised on the south side of Chicago in one of the roughest parts of the country, really, when it comes to violence and, yeah. you know, just race relations and a lot of just a difficult life. And mm -hmm. he was like my closest friend on the basketball team. And mm -hmm. then my other closest friend in college at Elmhurst was like this super artsy, creative, uh, irreverent theology major named Julie. <laughs> and so that's how we met. I think I met you first in one of our theology classes. Uh, I don't remember for sure. Maybe you do the exact time we met. No, I know exactly. I literally know the, like the, the, not the day you were looking for my roommate who hated me because you both, she played tennis and you played basketball and you were like, I'm supposed to go get coffee with her. And I was like, she's not here. I don't know where she is. And I was like a sophomore and I did not care about anything. And I was very mad that I went to Elmhurst and it was terrible. And so this random tall basketball player comes to my door and I'm like probably wearing a wig or something, who knows? And I just remember you being like kind of relieved that she wasn't there. And that made me feel really good about myself because because she really, really didn't like me. And it was fine because we ended up switching rooms and whatever, but like that was the first time we actually met. Okay. But I don't know if we, I was a bio major when you first met me. I didn't switch to religion until my second semester when I almost failed out. 
All right. So maybe we just talked a lot about religion. But well, that's why I switched to it because we had such differing theologies. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, I had never had a friend who was so different in the way in which they learned about religion and they practiced, like it just was so different to me. And it was, I was fascinated because we had conversations and we weren't just like yelling at each other. Yeah, yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. All right. Was. And and I, you know, I just to digress a little bit. Yeah. The, the interesting thing about my time at Elmhurst and you were a huge part of this. Uh-huh that it was, uh, it was simultaneously like super intellectually fertile. I was learning and exposed to all kinds of new things and new thoughts and new ideas and new theologies. Um, and also like the worst stereotype of every college uh, athlete's life. And I was living both of those like on a parallel path. Like I would be like the party kid who was like basketball guy and in one ego. And then my alter Mm -hmm. ego was like, let's go have coffee and talk about, you know, The Niebuhr brothers. <laughs> yeah. And like, I was, I was mostly friends with the coffee shop guy, but I also experienced the basketball player guy, but it was very tertiary for me. Like I wasn't part of that world. It was just, it was just fascinating to be like, kind of knowing about, cause you told me everything about that world, but I wasn't really a part of it at all. All right. Everybody's bored. I'm not bored. I could talk about this forever because I just think it's fascinating. And also it was like 20 years ago. I want you to tell me, you've already mentioned it, but how you got into politics and how you got out of politics. So I got in pretty much by accident. I was never really interested in a career in politics. I Mm -hmm. have an undergrad degree in ministry in Spanish. Um, We moved to Gainesville, Florida for me to get my PhD in religion because they had a great um, master's really? program. Yeah, I was going to get my PhD in religion with a focus in Latin American studies because- never, wow, okay, wow. Yeah. And so I didn't, I, we applied, we loved Gainesville, we decided yeah. we were moving here and then I found out I wasn't getting in. Okay. And so like, okay, we're still going to move, I'll reapply, we'll go the next year. And in the in-between time, we started going to this church and um, this is a bit of a long story, but it's a good podcast story. So it's great. It's great. We're going to this church three weeks in, they fire their pastor. So, which is usually like a turn and run sign, um, <laughs> but, but I'm crazy. And, and yes. so my wife, Jen and I were like, no, we should stay. We should stick it out. Yeah. And, and then even more crazy, I decided I would offer to preach. So I, mm-hmm. I started preaching and then I started doing the interim and then I decided I was going to apply for the job and I applied for the job. We get down to two, two applicants at this church and they hired the other guy. Oh. So, so now I'm like, oh no, what am I going to do? I have no job. I'm not in the school. And at the welcome barbecue for the new pastor, because we were like, okay, we got to stay. We got to be good sports. Yeah. At the welcome barbecue, it was hosted at the house of this guy who's a political consultant. And unbeknownst to me, he had been kind of like watching me. And he offered me a job, like on the spot. What? And so it was just me and him. And he was a Republican political consultant running like state house and state senate campaigns, mostly in Florida. And Were you like interested? In, I mean, I, you're smart. So like you probably had an inkling about politics, but like, what was your... Were you like, yeah, like finally I can, you know, make my mark. Or were you just like, all right, I'll try this. It was more the latter, you know, yeah. because it seemed like meaningful work. It seemed like it was important. Yeah. Politics was yeah. important. I'd always been interested. You know, I remember Obama came to my Christian college campus when he was running for U.S. Senate, and that was like really piqued my interest. And so yeah. I had always been interested, but yeah. uh, I needed a job, honestly. You know, well, like, yeah, right, right. Okay. This guy was offering me a decent pay, and I was like, okay. So I took it, and it was just mm-hmm. me and him, and we started, like, he taught me everything about the business of political consulting, and we did a lot of direct mail and polling and data work and um, just all kinds of stuff, I've, you know, and we worked up and down the ballot over the course of that time. We grew the company, okay. uh, and I'll fast forward way ahead to, mm-hmm. to the latter question of how I got out. Yeah. So um, in 2014, we had grown the company to 20 employees. We were the largest political consulting firm in Florida. Okay. And uh, I was named the CEO and I began the right. process of buying the company. Okay. Uh, I had been secretly growing very uncomfortable with the direction of the Republican Party, of uh, the direction of our firm, some of the things that I saw happening. 
and and not honestly a lot i mean some policy and beliefs but it was much less about beliefs and more about like tone and how people were treating each other okay. and this was way pre-trump this was 2014. yeah 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 and, and would you they, say you were like a serious republican before that i mean or again was it like a job that you then thought this aligns with a lot of my beliefs like i'm comfortable being in this space more the latter. I was not like a hardcore Republican yeah. person, but you know, I'm a pretty conservative guy in kind of the traditional ways. I think yeah. you know, people who know me know that I'm also like not conservative at all in some other ways that you might think. Yeah, of. right. But anyways, it didn't feel super out of place, but it just okay. It okay. kept growing less and less comfortable with yeah. a lot of things. And then 2016 yeah. rolled around, mm -hmm. and I mean that's pretty much the punchline of the story, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, in, in early 2016, I was growing very nervous that Trump was going to be the nominee. Um, uh -huh. Saw that it, I believed it was going to be Trump and Clinton early. Yeah. And I began secretly exploring what it would take to run an independent presidential campaign. Yeah. Uh, because I thought both of them were terrible. I didn't like Clinton. I thought Trump was an absolute uh, awful human being. And I could not imagine those two being our only, only choices. Okay. Um, and so that evolved into... Uh, I did a lot of research on what it would actually take to to make it happen. Yeah. And um, a few key national people heard about my research and I got sucked into this group of people that was trying to recruit an independent candidate. Yeah. And um, I, in, in June of 2016, I resigned as CEO. I left the Republican Party and I walked away from the buyout of my consulting firm. And wow. um, I helped to recruit an independent candidate for president. We ultimately... Um, spent the entire summer trying to recruit all the big wigs and they all told me no. I mean, I met with a lot of people that are household names asking them to run for president and none of them would. And we ended up with um, a man of great honor and integrity, a guy named Evan McMullen, who ran mm -hmm. as an independent. I ran his campaign. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, from there, I started my own firm after 16 um, and been working in reform politics and independent politics the last yeah. couple of years. But yeah. then, okay, so now I'm going to finish the story because the readers, I mean, listeners are super bored. Um, and then the last year or so, I was just really starting to believe that, at least for me, these yeah. giant world-changing movement kind of plays were not the way to actually make change. Mm. Um, you know, you can read history and say that some of the big needle-moving events were led by these towering figures who risked everything yeah. and made it happen. And and that's probably true to a certain degree. Yeah. Um, and I also noticed that like all of their lives were complete shambles because it's such a high cost to, to be that kind of a figure. Yep. Um, as well as I was wondering if it was actually working. Like I worked on a couple of really big projects with big resources and great ideas that really didn't move the needle at all related to yeah. political reform and independent candidates. And I've just kind of grown to this conclusion that maybe the best best place for me is just to work in my local community and to actually live out the principles that I care about, like unity and love for, for neighbor and a political system that actually works. And, you know, these basic principles that I really care deeply about. Yeah. And I was seeing that happen more and more when I engaged more at the local level, not local political level, but just local relational level. And yeah. Uh, we opened our flea market, we opened our retail store, and I saw that it was, you know, these things were happening in real time. And uh, then within the last six months, we've pretty much decided to walk away from the political consulting firm. I mean, I still have my shingle hung out, and if a great project came along, I might do it. But um, we're kind of going all in with uh, flea markets and retail and seeing if we can help heal our nation um, one old piece of crap at a time. Yeah. You know, I think that there's there's a part of me that unfortunately, and I know that he has created so much damage, but that we almost needed a Trump experience to really shake everybody up and to be like, holy shit, like, where have we gone and where should we be going? Because I do think, I mean, you look at like even... I mean, I know that you're talking about not non-political spaces, but like even people are now understanding that like local races are actually the building blocks of everything, right? And so like starting to figure out that like community is tremendously important and maybe we, 
in our American exceptionalism, individualistic way are hopefully starting to shift away from that. And so why is it that you chose to do the work that you and Jen are doing? Why are you doing vintage? Why are you selling vintage things, right? Like what of all the things that you could have been doing, right? why did you choose that? Well, I think two reasons. One is we've always loved old stuff. So uh -huh. we actually went, we went picking on our honeymoon. Um, <laughs> Can you please tell me what picking means, sir? Yeah. Well, for those who don't watch American Pickers, um, you basically <laughs> just go find cool old stuff, either at shops or, you know, estate sales, garage sales, or the side yeah. of the road, one of my favorite places yeah. to find them. Yeah. And I mean, we bought an old uh, icebox refrigerator on our honeymoon and hauled it home uh, in our Honda CRV. So it's been something we've loved forever, but the okay. reason we've always loved it is because uh, and not everybody's this way and that's fine, but we've always felt this connection to our own past, our own history, uh -huh. our family history, um, which is not always a good thing, right? I mean, that, that's sometimes like it hurts, it's painful, but there's something about being rooted in the, tr the truth of your own past and your own story yep. that helps you be a grounded human being, I think. Mm -hmm. um, I've noticed that, you know, but from, from your perspective, I love it when you're talking on social media about like your own heritage and talking mm -hmm. about aunts and uncles and your dad. And like, we remember who we are when we remember who we have been and where we've come from. Yeah. And so what I've noticed is that you can, you can bring those kinds of stories out in any kind of person with old mm -hmm. things. Even people who don't decorate their house with antiques will yeah. walk into our shop and will be triggered in a good way by something they see. And, yeah. and that brings up memories. And so why have we chosen to do that? Because there is, I think, some kind of a, a, a pathway, an opening that happens when old things trigger memories and open up conversations. And sometimes, like I said, those can be painful things. Yeah. Um, you know, I, for example, in one of my picks, I came across this guy who was definitely a racist and had a whole bunch of racist paraphernalia and Confederate stuff. And, and so I called up one of my black friends and I said, what do you think? What do I, what do, I do with this? This was in a box of stuff that I got. Yeah. Uh, and so, so, you know, it can be a painful conversation. And I learned something about that guy. I was interacting, he had died and I was interacting with his daughter. Uh -huh. um, but I've also got a chance to have conversations with some of my black friends about, okay, well, what do these symbols mean to you? And what would you like your white friends to do with these symbols? And so there's just so many interesting things that happen when you are exploring old stuff. And, uh, wow. and the most beautiful stuff happens when people have memories that open their hearts up to, um, to maybe talk about stuff that they wouldn't otherwise talk about. And, uh, yeah. and, and that's really special. Yeah. And you also brought up the idea that, you know, it, it, I, I'm, I am assuming this from what you said, but this fear of starting to throw yourself so deeply into the work when you're you're doing the political work that maybe your um, your family life, even your own self life, would start to change in a way that you weren't really comfortable with. And so, have you seen your that part of you flourish in a way that you hadn't seen in in a while because of this change that you've made? Yeah, for sure. Um... You know, it, it's allowed me to write more creatively and write more um, because I'm not so crazy busy traveling all the country. You know, my yeah. consulting jobs were everywhere and I was traveling like 100 plus days a year. Yeah. So there's like that very tangible. But there is the, um, I think, connecting with a part of who I am, which is to relate to all kinds of different people and to hear mm -hmm. their stories and to listen and to um, to try to understand and encourage. And, and so that has really been special for me. And um, I've really enjoyed just the variety of people. Uh, I wrote a piece the other day that I shared with you and mm -hmm. you can share I'll post here. it. Yeah. Um, called, I think I entitled it, um, uh, Trump lesbians and archery. Yeah. Uh, something like that, which then I immediately was like, is this about me? <laughs> 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 Only because two of those things I do and am, and one of those things I do not like at all. So I was like, oh, maybe this is an article about me. It's actually quite a lovely article. Just talk just a little bit about what the story, the, what the main story of that is, why you it, called it that. Yeah. So I called it that because I just pulled three characters uh, among hundreds of people that come into our shop. Yeah. Uh, one is a uh, Trump loving uh, older man who is half blind and uses a cane. Mm -hmm. And um, 
I, I don't think I've ever seen him yet in non-MAGA wear. Wow. So, okay. You, know, you can believe what you want about him, but that gives you at yeah. least a visual description of who he yep. is. Yep. Yep. Um, and, he and you know what? He loves old things and he buys and he sells and I see uh -huh. him around. Okay. So that's one guy. And okay. then um, there is a, there's actually two different lesbian couples that are regular customers. I mean, there's many different kinds of people come into our shop all the time, right. but there's two couples in particular and one in particular uh, who hasn't adopted, they're, they're married and they have an adopted um, black son. Mm -hmm. And they're just, I, I just love them. We've just connected, you know, from the get go, they love our shop. I've had great conversations with them. Um, they've, you know, we talked about decorating their house and um, just gotten to know them in, in a very real way. And then the archery piece, um, our local mayor, uh, who is like the greatest, I love him very much. Um, huh. he, he is our mayor. He's the civics teacher at the high school. He's also the archery coach at the high school. <laughs> and I didn't put this in the piece, but we have a National Olympic Archery Training Center in Newberry, Florida. Uh, really? Yeah. In fact, the, the Olympic qualifier for the next Olympics will come out of Newberry uh, in May. The two, the four winners oh in May from our archery center will be the Olympic archery team. So um, yeah. It's amazing. Who would have thought Florida? It, it was so it was a snapshot of, you know, people think vintage store. I think they misunderstand, oh, that's an antique store for old ladies. It's yeah. not at all. It's and, and we've really tried hard to build a culture that welcomes every kind of person, mm -hmm. um, because not only because that's what we believe is the right thing to do, but because it makes for just such a rich environment that is way beyond just selling stuff. Um, yeah. So that's that's what it's about for us. Yeah. So what do you what do you think? Some you know making this huge huge life change for yourself. Um, how are you making a difference now? What do you think well, about that? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it starts with uh, the, the very real practice of being a person who spends time with and relates to a whole bunch of different kinds of people. Mm -hmm. uh, and why that's important in this particular cultural moment is because we are getting more and more fragmented on purpose and at the hands of people who would like us to be fragmented for either their own uh, money-making purposes or political purposes. And, and so I almost see it as a, a great act of rebellion for any of us to simply say, I refuse. You will not put me in a silo. I will spend time with people who are not like me on purpose every day. Mm -hmm. and, and one way I can do that is to have this store and make sure everyone feels welcome. And mm -hmm. so how, how are we making a difference? You know, I think that's one way is to, to live it and hopefully be yep. an example of that. But also it allows those people to connect with each other. Um, our flea markets have grown from, you know, 12 vendors and a couple hundred people to 40 vendors and 3000 people at our last one. And so, so these, these are 3000 of the com most completely different people you could imagine. We live in a very diverse part of the country. Uh, Gainesville is super diverse mm -hmm. in every way. Um, and they're all coming out and they're all spending time with each other. And it's like, oh, we don't have to hate each other. We can just mingle and be around each other and, uh, and maybe meet some new people who are not like us. And, and so we think that just creating those spaces because those spaces are actually few and far between and they've, they've shrunk in COVID. Um, and yep. so we've you know, and we've all had to adjust to that and we have to do certain things to, to mitigate that. But I think it's going to be even more important in the coming months and years because we mm -hmm. have lost some spaces that used to be like yep. those people gathering places. Um, and yeah, so absolutely. I think we're trying. Yeah, I like that. And I think, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting that, you know, I always, I always think of, of opportunities that we don't get, you know, thinking about your going for the, the minister position and then not getting it. Um, and even, even deciding to, to, to walk away from politics. I mean, I never think of those things as negative. I always think of them as there's an opportunity to, to go in a direction that we never thought that we were going to go in. And so, do you think that this is, do you think this is a stepping stone for you to go to somewhere else? Like what, like, what's the opportunity here for you? It doesn't feel like a stepping stone in ways that other things in my life have. It feels yeah. a lot more like coming home hmm. um, in the sense that I think I've always 
really desired to live a life more like this. Yeah. And, you know, when you're young and you feel the pressure of, of career and making money and, you know, improving yourself, et cetera, you, I think all of us make a lot of decisions that probably are not really the best for us in, in like a soul kind of way. Um, you know, they tend to work themselves out, but, um, you know, hopefully most of us will settle into something in our lives at some point that feels much more like it fits and like it's who we are. And I think a lot of people tragically don't, they just, they just run on the guinea pig wheel, you know, until they retire and then they go unhappily into their RV. Um, but (laughs) there's, you know, and that's sad. And that's some of the most sad scenes I've ever seen are like miserable retired people who feel like yeah. they, they never really pursued uh, their heart's passion. Uh, so for me, it feels a lot more like that. I don't know where it's going. I don't know what that can happen tomorrow. I'm living more right. day to day. I was talking to a friend today, like it, it, the, the phrase in the Lord's prayer of uh, give us today our daily bread has never been more real to me. Um, mm-hmm. Not just like in a prayer sense of like, I need what I need today, provide for me, please God. But also in just a, that's all I'm living for. Like, yeah, we've got today. That's what I know for sure. And I want to be present for the people that I'm with today. Mm-hmm. And I knew that tonight I was going to have a podcast with my friend, Julie Maxwell, and I want to be fully present in that moment. And yeah. uh, that has been really rich. Yeah. Yeah. And actually in some ways, that's, that's what I, that's the gift that I have gotten from this podcast is that I'm purposely only doing one interview a day. I've done many of them so far, but it's a, it's a time in a very horrible and scary and unknown space, right? With this virus that's happening um, that I feel a bit of security and I feel a bit of um, release from the rest of my existence, right? Cause it's like, I'm just here. I'm not, I'm not paying attention to anything else, right? But I'm just, I'm just doing this. And I think that the relationships that you're building um, are exactly that with this work that you're doing where maybe you'll never see these people again, maybe you will, but there's such a beauty in connection and in storytelling. And so I'm curious where this comes from for you because you have always been a storyteller. So is it is it from, family is it from your deep faith like what what is it about you that that is such such a storyteller yeah that's a great question that no one's ever asked me so let's see Uh, i definitely come from a family of storytellers my grandfather uh who's my namesake bruce uh was a great storyteller and i spent a lot of time with him so i think there's certainly is he a pastor he was a pastor and counselor theology and and really formative in my kind of way I think about theology and and you know super expansive huge view of who God is and I think that is the other part is my faith side is that I've always known deep down that uh faith really is a story it Mm -hmm. is it is us connecting with what we believe to be uh an explanation and a way to help us process who we are in the world Mm-hmm. Uh, who everyone else is and and what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do that through a story. I mean, you know, I, I read the Bible every day and it is, in my opinion, the greatest story there is. And I don't, I, I've never viewed it in kind of like the fundamentalist, um, you know, handbook for life kind of way. To me, it's always been great poetry and, and amazing, yeah. and, you know, graphic stories about real life and, yeah. Um, and people who are trying to figure it out and who God is. And, 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 uh, and so, yeah, I think it's, it's my faith and it's my family. You, you kind of already nailed it. Darn it. That I didn't, <laughs> I shouldn't have answered the question for you. Um, cause I don't know. I just think, and like, I even think about, I mean, I spent time in your parents' home mm-hmm. with you. Um, when we were in college, I got the chance to, I mean, we would go and see, one of, well, I don't even know if you, I'm assuming you're still friends, but one of your best friends from high school played at Wesleyan. And so we would go and watch basketball and once or twice, I feel like we stayed at your parents' home. And I just think about the hospitality. And I think this is a whole other side of it. It's this idea of hospitality and this idea that, Mm -hmm. 
you know, when we, right when we started doing, right when we started talking before we started recording, you asked me what was in my, my coffee cup and you, like you were making your own tea. And there's always been this very serious strain, which I took from you of hospitality that I do think I felt when I was at your parents' home. And I just, I wonder if that's also a part of why you are really enjoying this sort of work right now. For sure, definitely. And that's something that um, Jen and I, my wife and I connected around was hospitality. She's super hospitable. Um, and that's always been a part of who we are. Um, you said something that I wanted to, to comment on. Um, you said something about you took hospitality from me. I have to say, because we can't end this podcast without me saying this, you, for me, gave me permission as a, a young kid who was 18, 19 years old, and had all these really deep thoughts and interests in creative things, but had been in a sports culture and was kind of afraid to embrace that side of myself because mm -hmm. I was afraid it wouldn't be cool or you know I'd be made fun of or whatever. Yeah. Being your friend was a huge blessing to me because you were not only interested in those things, mm -hmm. but you encouraged them and you also by the way that you were and the way you thought and asked questions and took pictures and, you know, engaged in art, um, you really played a key role in opening that up in me as a person. Oh, thanks. And so I thank you for that. That's wonderful. I mean, I, that's very sweet of you to say. Um, yeah. I still have, I still have, <laughs> I still have all of the black and white pictures that we developed in the dark room in, uh, in Elmhurst. Wow. And who would have thought this super weirdo would like befriend the cool basketball guy? <laughs> I still think it's weird. Like it's, it's a very bizarre, like it's just, it's a very wonderful and very weird story. And so I am glad that there was this ability for you to feel comfortable enough and vulnerable enough to examine a side of you that I think then I also grew with. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think that that's, that's really special. Yeah. And I think there's, so, there's a takeaway for, for people and, and for us yeah. to remember, even like, you know, I'm thinking about teaching my kids this, uh, mm -hmm. just from this conversation, which is when you meet someone that you just feel connected with and you're able to be real and honest and open with, you really need to savor that and, and yeah. listen to what you can learn from that person because that is yeah. a, that really is a special moment. I mean, I've only yeah. had a handful of friends like you in my life that have mm -hmm. played that kind of a role and that I can pick up with just like you just described. Um, right. So right. You know, we gotta we gotta hold on to those things. So where do you find joy and what has been the hardest part about this transition for you to, you know, just kind of stopping work and taking up this totally random, beautiful experiment. Yeah. Of owning a vintage store. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, you know, it is kind of perfect, really. I mean, yeah. when you think about it, I find a lot of joy in this, in the things. Um, and, and that's not where I kind of get my ultimate joy, but there are these little moments of discovery and rediscovery when you are constantly uh, finding, getting, buying, receiving um, items that you've never had before that have some kind of story attached to them. Yeah. And, and that's just fun. You know, it's fun to do that. Um, I'm finding a lot of joy in the relationships that I mentioned before, of, mm -hmm. uh, the diversity of the relationships and uh, watching people get excited about finding the thing that their mom had in their kitchen. And, oh, this red handled spoon is just like my grandma's. And it reminds me of the gnocchi she used to make, you know, yeah. um, those are the, those are just joy moments for sure. Um, yeah. And the other question was what, what's so, what's the hardest thing? Yeah. What's been so hard about this? I mean, this was a leap. Yeah, you know, I'm not, I'm not a very fear, fearful person. Um, not that we don't all have some kind of fears. I, I'm probably yeah. more insecure than I am fearful. I mean, I've mm -hmm. had my life threatened and I've been through a lot of stuff in my life. So I'm not really scared of taking this leap. It's more, I think the hardest thing is 
figuring out how to make it work um, from a more practical perspective. Uh, I'm thankful right, right. I have a wife who's a business major, you know, business degree and can think through a lot of that stuff with me. But um, it's hard work. People think the entrepreneurial life is like this glamorous, you know, Chip and Joanna kind of a existence. Yeah, you just post on Instagram and like go like gallivanting around, finding some pretty stuff, whatever, no big deal. Yeah, and you make millions of dollars. It's, it's really hard. It's really, yeah. really hard. And, and so we're currently like, we're growing and we're trying to figure out what is the next growth step and how much risk should we take on? And so the hard stuff is the practical stuff um, mm -hmm. more so than, than any kind of real like soul level stuff. And I think that was kind of, I mean, I, I should have just asked it, asked it like as an adult who decided to basically quit their job and, you know, start this business because I mean, I think a lot of times, you know, like I, my God, could I just stop everything and start over again, right? And there's a really fun aspect to that, but then there's also a no insurance aspect to that, which is kind of like, oh gosh, like, and that's why I think a lot of people don't do it. And also a lot of people can't do it, right? There is a privilege in it too, which is, yeah. which is really lovely, um, but also, you know, part of the conversation as well. Yeah, to it's totally a privilege. Um, and I think about that often, actually, of just mm -hmm. the kind of um, the fact that most people can't do this. You know, I, yeah. I'm, only, I'm only able to do this because we had enough of a little cushion that we could take some risks. Um, yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of people that, that have big dreams that, that never feel like they can follow through because that's not their, you know, the way that their life is working out at that moment. And so I do, I'm super thankful for that. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I mean, I, I'm not really, I'm not really afraid. I don't know how it's going to work out, but it's going well right now. And um, we're excited to see where it goes. I mean, the fact that it's going well during a pandemic right. is a pretty beautiful sign, right? <laughs> that, that things are going in a way that this is, that you all made the, the right decision. And so my final question to you is, what is it like to work with your wife? Yeah, so it's great. Um, yeah. You know, you hear horror stories about that, and I see, I see why those happen. You know, and we actually we took advice from several couples who had worked together, um, and listened to their failures and their mistakes, and yeah. what they did right and what they did wrong. And I think we've really learned from those lessons. We kind of eased into it, um, uh, but overall, it's been really great because mostly because for the first fifteen years of my career she didn't know or care what I did. She didn't care about politics, you know? She's like, <laughs> I'm gone 150 days a year. That's all she knew. And yeah. that she had crying babies at home. And so yeah. to do something together um, is another beautiful aspect of this. Mm -hmm. And again, not easy. Uh, we have plenty of arguments about this and that. And why'd you do this? And why'd you sell that thing? And why did you do it for that much? Um, mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, we're united in the purpose and the mission of it, um, which really gets you through a lot of the stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've, I've know a couple of couples who own businesses together and it is, it is a sight to be seen that, and I'm, I'm in awe of, of the ability to balance the frustrations, but also the, the joys that, um, that come just, I mean, cause business in general can be frustrating regardless of the relationships. Right. And so I think I said that was my final question, but I do have one more and it's a very silly one. If I were to go to, to your vintage store, I've always wondered this, can I haggle with you? I do allow haggling, yes. Um, <laughs> it, is not, it is not common because there's like this okay. courtesy, I think that people think that, oh, this is like an actual store, so I can't haggle. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, experience, the seasoned folks definitely come in and haggle. Um, I probably, I mean, I'm way too uncomfortable to ever do that. Cause I like following the rules, but like, I'm always, I can't under, I haggling to me is a whole new world that I don't understand. So I just, I was curious if that's well, it doesn't bother me at all, because that's how I make my money is to go to people's houses and haggle them and uh, get, get the best price I possibly can so that right. I can other stuff for more. Yeah. yeah. How do you know how to price things? Do you just like look it up? No, I, I really don't. Your, your trade secrets, trade secrets. Don't look anything up. It takes way too much time to research stuff. We, we, we literally turn over thousands of items in our store a month. We have very high volume turnover. Okay. And so it's really a gut feeling for me. It started out just okay. 
what I thought would be good. And we try to price things low so that any person from any kind of means could come in there and find something they love. Yeah. Okay. And so nothing's really very few things over $25, for example. Okay. And so when you're only dealing with that and just like everything's kind of in that range, you're like, ah, $6. (laughs) And then that's how I price things. Oh my gosh, that's so great. I just like now I just want to come down for like a weekend and be like, all right, what I'll just schlep around with you and be like, how does this work? Because I'm fascinated because I cannot imagine you ever stop. I can't believe that you had an hour to like actually talk today just because you're missing sales. You're missing things right now. You're missing what someone's someone's garage. It is it is a constant adventure. My my garage currently has three antique sofas in it. So that's what my garage looks like. And those would be less than $25? Well, no, not those. I'm going to okay. recover those. Those will be more. We need to turn the tables now. Yeah. It's, it's time. Um, it is time for you to ask me anything you would like in the, the moment of vulnerability. Dun, 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 dun. Someone said that I should have some sort of sound effect when I do this, and I haven't done it yet. That was a pretty good one, actually, the way you just did that. <laughs> so you're the only person I've ever known ever and i've known a lot of people uh-huh. who has used uh what i believe to be tarot cards oh yeah i think i've been seeing i believe to sorry go ahead keep going that's how, that's how ignorant i am of of all the black magic so <laughs> okay so i i want to know i want to yeah. know how you how you started using tarot cards and yeah what the hell are they Great. I love it. I love this. I love this. I think that dependent on who you talk to, you may get different answers about this. So I am talking only from my own experience. All right. Um, I have always kind of been like, not into any of this stuff. I've been like, it's, it's witchy. It's ghosts. I don't know. I mean, just not like <laughs> Ouija boards, all that stuff. They freak me out. So when I was in New Orleans um, a couple of years ago, um, you know, you got to go get your tarot cards read. I had no, I I was very nervous. And I think the main reason was because I was like, in my mind, and I think a lot of people have this assumption about tarot. It's like, it's like you go in and you go, okay, what is like, my questions tonight is going to be, what is Joel going to ask me? You know, like a very, like, I need an answer. Like what's going to happen on Tuesday? that Mm -hmm. sort of stuff, like a fortune telling sort of situation. So it's not, Uh, but when I I first got my cards read, it was, I was like, you know, what should I be thinking about with my job? What should I um, be thinking about my love life? Like all this stuff that was just garbage. It's fine. You can ask those questions, but the, but the way that I think of, so then I got home And a friend of mine was like, I'm going to buy you some cards for yourself so that you can just kind of learn, mess around with it. You know, um, I don't think that it's black magic. Uh, I don't think that it's magic at all. What I think it is, is a tool. So the way that I use tarot and actually tomorrow, a girlfriend of mine is turning 40 and she asked me if we could do tarot, read some cards. So and actually, I would love to do it for you just because I think it would be fun, even though you'd probably freak out. Um, what I would say it is, is it's a way for you to focus in an, in an, like, okay, I, I, I need to like just do it as an example. I'm trying, I'm sorry, this is like the worst answer. Um, so let's say that, and I don't know all the cards by heart, but let's say that I a question that a lot of times I ask, and I have a friend who I do tarot with every Thursday, just because she's very knowledgeable about it and I don't know a lot, is we will ask things like, what is the medicine for this moment? Or what is love trying to show me in this moment? And so then what we'll do is, you know, um, in my, the way that I like to do it is I like to shuffle. And then I like to kind of like think about the question, just think about what's going on in my life. And then I'll spread them all out and I'll pull a card that I just feel like is a card, you know, looking at the thing you go, oh, I'll just pick that one. Kind of like a magician, right? Mm -hmm. But it's not black magic. Then you, there's all sorts of, I mean, it's kind of, honestly, it's kind of like um, exegetical work. There's all of this, there's like the basis for the card, you know, there's four different suits. 
There's also the major arcana and the minor arcana, and they all mean different things. But there are books on books on books about what those meanings mean, right? So there's the baseline of like, okay, fours mean blah, blah, blah. And the um, pentacles or yeah, let's see. The cups relate to emotions and relate to, you know, the full, fullness of your heart, et cetera. So a lot of times what you can do is for me, at least it's almost like therapy where it's like, I'm having a rough day. I'm just trying to like get out of a funk. Like, let's pull a card. Let's talk, like, let's just be like, what's going on with my day? And then I pull a card and I just think about things in a different way. I ask myself questions in a different way. Um, to me, it's a way of reframing and it's a way of, of going deeper and really thinking about what's going on internally in your, in your life. Um, it's to me, it's not about what it, should I buy that house next week? I mean, you know, like there's, there's not really an answer system with it. It's more of a excavation of your thoughts and your feelings, either in that moment, or, you know, if you're looking at, you know, what am I, what am I, what should I be focused on over the next month? And it's not a predictor. It's not telling you like, and this is going to happen, but it's just to me, and maybe in some ways it's, it's the way in which, and I, I don't mean to equate them because I don't want to lessen, but the way in which people use the Christian Bible to kind of ground themselves in the day, right? Where they'll look, read a scripture and they'll go, okay, what does this mean to me today? Right? Like, where am I, how am I relating to this how can I learn from this? And so that's the, that's the way that I think about tarot. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's really life-giving, honestly. I think it's fascinating. And I think that it's, it's just, it's something to think about. Does that, does that make any sense? Yeah, no, it's great. Um, I feel like we're back at the coffee shop. This is awesome. <laughs> and now I'll pull out my cards and be like, Did Joel, you, we're going to read your cards. Do you um, see it as channeling some sort of other or any any sort of other whether that be spiritual or otherwise or is it really more of a self-reflective i don't want to say psychological tool but like like uh it's more it's more like a mirror than it is like a channel is that what i, I mean you know i would say mostly a mirror but i do think that there's that there's some energy that's going on in some like and that definitely makes me sound like all witchy and like you know new agey but i but i do think i don't know i think i mean i think that it's what's what's weird about it is that like there are times like there was one month where probably you know six out of the ten times that i pulled a card i pulled the strength card like and that's shuffling and laying them out and like every time like I felt called to pull, pull this one card, right? And so I, I can't, I, I don't want to say that that means nothing, mm -hmm. right? But I don't necessarily think it's like, again, it's like leading you to like buy the car, right? I mean, but that's how I think a lot of people think of it is that it's very much just like this prescriptive, like will, will she fall in love with me? You know, I mean, you can't, that's not predictable. Well, it's, really, it's really interesting in light of some things I've been reading the last few days about uh -huh. the Christian prophetic movement, which is like in a complete civil war right now. Because I'm sorry to laugh, but it's hilarious to me. Yeah. These all these all these crazy charismatic prophets were predicting Trump's victory, and now it's like, uh, what do we do now? We and a few of them, a few of them have been like super repentant. I'm sorry, I got it wrong, but most of them were just like, just wait, it's coming. And and so it's like when you try to like apply answers to things that are not meant for us to answer of course yeah. you get all like sideways and screwed yeah. up you're going to do yeah. crazy things whether it's in the name right. of christianity or tarot or you know right. whatever um, right and it's like to me it's like the same thing of just if you over prescribe and try to like over project the meaning of your life into some like prescriptive model um mm -hmm. you're always going to be disappointed Mm -hmm. it's, it's going to lead you down crazy paths that are not life-giving that are death-giving yeah. you know yeah. 
whereas like this this the reverse being kind of like this open-handed you know where's today going to take me and yeah you know how do i live into the fullness of life and love and joy yeah yeah and i mean we've like Michelle and I have really been focusing a lot because this the past couple of weeks, the past year has been horrible. So like, you know, uh, asking questions like, where do we find joy or how do we, how do we get through this pain? You know, I mean, that's, it's just, it's reframing the things that we are, that are in our hearts in a tangible way that can make us at least try to start figuring out, even if we don't have answers, which I don't, it's not the point, we can at least start to find a little bit of clarity or at least a little bit of like, okay, I've, I've, I've asked myself a hard question. I like, here's my answer. It has nothing to do with this card that I pulled, but maybe something in the card pulled, pulled, pulled it out of me in a way that wouldn't have, which is why I think about it like therapy, because I think that a good therapist asks questions where eventually you're going to find the answer regardless of the questions that they've asked, right? You're, they're just planting seeds so that you can then kind of uncover it. And, and that's, that's the way that I interact with tarot. So, and which is very different when I, from what I ever thought it was, it was going to be, yeah. which is why I really like it. Cause you know, I'm like, not like a super witchy. Well, maybe I am, I don't know, but. But you don't, you don't wear a turban and use a crystal ball yet. I do not yet. But you know, those turbans are cute. Like that would be a look that I would, and you know, I'll just have crystals all over the place. And there's a crystal shop in Durham that is fantastic. Also very expensive. So I'm just like, I'm cheap. I'm not gonna, I've got some, I've got some rocks that I wasn't, I probably shouldn't have taken from Colorado that like, they're gonna, they're my crystals, I guess. All right, I have no idea. works. Okay, <laughs> that's all we're gonna talk about today. This has been a pleasure. I'm excited that I got to see you. I actually get to also see some random things in your the back of your office area that probably were found via picking. Thanks for being here, buddy. And thanks for being in my life still. It's kind of nice. Yeah, it was amazing to talk to you and it was great to reconnect. Yeah, all right. I'm gonna turn this off so that we can look at some pictures really quickly. All right, I'm gonna get right, them. Thanks, okay. I am so lucky to know such incredible, thoughtful people, and I thank you for listening. Come back soon for another episode of It's Just You and Me.